Welcome to GRIT, the Real Estate Growth Mindset Podcast, hosted by Brian Charlesworth, founder of Sisu. Sisu provides growth automation software for real estate. You'll hear stories from real estate thought and technology leaders, team owners, and brokers on how they grew their business in a rapidly changing industry. You'll learn how to transform your brokerage and teams into a high-performing and analytics-driven business so you have a new, durable, competitive advantage against disruption in your market. So let's get right into it. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Grit Podcast. I'm Brian Charlesworth. I'm the founder of CSU and your host of the show. And today we are here with Barry Jenkins, who runs a team out of Virginia Beach and does a lot more than that as well. Barry is a realtor. He's a speaker. He's a coach. He's an author now. Congratulations. And he also is a major part of product development at YLOPO. So I think your title there officially is head realtor in residence. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of something they made up, but it does define kind of what I do there. Right. You know, I'm the, I'm the person that knows agents, right. Cause I'm one of them. And so I get to yeah. kind of advocate for them. So anyway, Barry, to kick off, I mean, that's a short intro, but covers a lot. Is there anything you want to add to that? You know, professionally, no. I mean, I think a couple decades in the business, maybe. But yeah, I mean, that's that's the stuff I'm working on in my real estate career. And my business serves me and my desires instead of me serving it. You know, it's it's funneling everything that I want to do. And honestly, that's a big deal for me to be able yeah. to allow, allow that. Well, Barry, that's one thing that's always impressed me about you is you're very intentional. Like, you determine what you want to do in your life, which is how you were able to write a book, which is how you were able to jump in and, you know, do this role at YLOPA while you have a team over here. I think you guys did about 900 transactions last year. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, are you a team or a brokerage? We're a team rich. So both actually. So you do own a brokerage. My, my family owns the brokerage. Yeah. Okay. And you run a team outside of that brokerage. So meaning, or within the brokerage. So how many agents are in the brokerage? How many agents are in the team? We have about 70 agents. I would say all, but maybe 10 are on the team. Okay. So if somebody comes into your brokerage, like how do you determine if they're going to be on the team or not? Or, or what does that actually mean to be on the team? Because most brokerages and you know, I think my personal opinion is that all brokerages are going to have to start running like you run your brokerage right? in order for them to survive with how things are going. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show today, because the show is called Grit. But for me, it's like it's really about like in this new changing times in real estate, I believe a brokerage needs to bring more value than what your traditional brokerage brought. And so... I'd love to love to kind of hear kind of how you guys evolved from being a brokerage to a team rich. Yeah, that's a great question. We are really good at developing business, developing opportunities. And it started more in the corporate world, like relocation accounts, REOs. And there was just so many that we decided that we would have agents work the opportunities we're providing them. And, you know, that was kind of the impetus of all of it. Uh, And then as the business continued to grow, we were faithful with what we had. We continued to expand what type of opportunities we were providing our agents. And, you know, some brokerages 
they they make their money off of selling their agents things. Maybe it's a desk, maybe it's office space, copiers, training, whatever it is. And so their goal is to get as many agents as they can, and then they'll just figure it out as they go. Nothing wrong with that. For us, we decided we would have more of like a SEAL team vibe. Like, you know, the average agent in our office sells maybe 20 homes a year. And, you know, the goal for us is to find people that know a good opportunity when they see it. And then we do everything we can to optimize their day so that they're only doing money-making activities every day. So we really obsess about not only the generation of the opportunities, but because we're trying to get them to really focus on money-making activities, we don't overvalue the lead. I think that's a common mistake with a lot of teams is I'm giving you leads and you know it's a lot of work. And I'm not saying it's not, they shouldn't be working, but at the same time, you know, it's a bigger picture than that. So it really is just iterated over the last decade into a focus on optimizing the day of the agent. So if the agent is spending their day doing money producing activities, what are all of the things that you take over for that agent? So that they're not having to spend their time in those areas where they really shouldn't be spending their time, right? Right, right. Yeah, great question. We generate the opportunities if they're uh, an opportunity that needs to be called, like a, for example, a lead online registered on our website and hit our CRM, we're paying for our inside salespeople to call the leads for the agents. And once the person that we've generated says, I want to talk to an agent, that's when we hand it to our agent. And we don't have that strict definition of like, you know, it's only if they meet them. It's for us, it's we're just trying to find human beings that want to talk to an agent about buying or selling. And then once the agent shakes those hands, kisses those babies, puts them under contract, then they hand the person to our office to manage the transactions. We have four transaction managers. And then we have a lot of automation for post-closing. So what we're doing is we're trying to help the agent to make sure that we keep their name in front of their past clients. And so we're automating end to end. And so the agents are just managing relationships, which is what they're good at. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what they're good at and which is what they enjoy, right? Yeah. You're taking away all those other things that if an agent gets caught up in that, it's basically an excuse not to, not to be in front of their customers. And yeah it can be a very downhill slope for them if they focus on those activities that you guys are doing. So, Well, and I think that's a great point, Brian, because I think what a lot of agents and a lot of teams have been looking for historically is like this well-rounded, you know, hardworking, intelligent, good salesperson, tech enabled. And we pour into these people because they're good agents only to find out a few years later, they ended up leaving, which is what I would do, right? I mean, if I joined your team, few years, I would just go start my own because that's who I am. And so what we decided to do is to find the people that are good at one thing, which is connecting with people and, you know, they're hardworking. I'm not trying to downgrade that at all, but instead of looking for like the perfect scenario, we're looking for, we've supplemented really good, hardworking people to help them find success. And it's opened up the opportunities a lot more because we're looking for something that's a little different. Yeah, I've, I've met so many team owners and this is, uh, my wife calls this the messy middle, but there's a lot of team owners that get stuck in, you know, I'm going to have five to 10 agents, right? Uh-huh. And I want every one of those five to 10 agents to be just like me. Yeah. Well, if they're just like you, they are going to go start a team, right? I mean, 
Yep. You want people who need you, that need what you provide, that you can provide an opportunity for them and they can fill a role for you. You don't need the entrepreneur like you are yourself, right? And yep. I think that's I think that's a problem that a lot of team owners get caught up in for probably, I see that being like a two to three year cycle for a lot of people. They get stuck in that grind and they find that you know, every two years, their people are leaving them. Exactly. And when we're interviewing an agent, one of the things that we really try to get across is we're not looking for the working environment where you work for me. And so, and technically they are licensed at our brokerage, but practically speaking, if an agent decides I'm working here, you tell me what to do every day. That's not the person that I need. I need someone that can see a good opportunity when it's presented to them and wants to partner. So we sincerely have that spirit of partnership in our office. Just yesterday, I had one of my agents call me and said, Hey, I really want, uh, want to get training with this particular coach. Do you know them? Are you friends? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm friends with them. I'll send them a message, see what I can do. And he was like, well, you don't have to rush. And I, I said the same thing I'm saying to you, look, we're business partners on a one-to-one level. If this is something you feel you need, to the degree that it makes sense for me business-wise, I'm going to do what I can to try to make it happen for you. And so it's created a really cool culture of business owners in their own right that we're just kind of supporting. And it's it's worked out really well. The quality of agent that we've been able to get over the last three years, it's just been tremendous. Well, I because think that's obvious by your numbers. I mean, if you guys are doing 20, an average of 20 transactions per agent, yeah. you know, you're more than double most brokerages right. for sure, <laughs> or maybe right. even more than triple, right? Yeah. And and it's interesting, Brian, you know, I don't, I'm not going to discriminate uh, in any way, but my experience over the last six months, we've, we've hired agents that have been licensed for 10 years and they did okay, maybe one or two homes a month, which isn't bad, but they, they were missing one key component, you know, out of this like trifecta of, of needs that an agent has. And they came over and they've three X their business. And this isn't an advertisement for me. This is about augmenting your sales staff and coming Mm -hmm. alongside them. And it just works better. It's more realistic. I think. Yeah, totally agree. So Barry, I think that's the way you really work. Like you just partner with people and provide value. I know you've done a lot of that for us at CSU. I look at your role at Ylopo and it's, you know, you're this head realtor in residence. And I feel like you're a realtor in residence with CSU as well, because <laughs> a lot of the things such as our new client portal, a lot of the things that we've been rolling out, like you've dove in and given us great feedback and great advice. And my guess is that's what happened over at Ylopo. They're like, Barry's bringing us so much value. Let's just bring him on staff full time. But tell us how that evolved. How did you become a, I mean, I think you're actually an employee at Ylopo, right? I'm a full-time executive there. Yeah. Yeah. I bought Ylopo in 2016. Begrudgingly, by the way, Tristan really did a hard sell on me from lab code agents and bought it. My team did really well, really quickly. And it caught the attention of Jufeng Ji, the co-founder. And he started asking me questions about what we're doing, how we're teaching. And he asked, he said, you know, can we get one to two hours a week of your time? And I ended up not paying attention to how many hours I was spending. And I ended up completely revamping all of their training for new users. I have a teacher's heart, so it was nothing to me. Anyway, a year later, they're like, hey, will you come on full time? And that forced me 
to come up with a way to run my real estate team, I basically had to move to a place where computers, processes, and well-placed hires could run my business for me. And that's what happened. And so six years later, it's a really cool story, but nobody in their mind and, and nobody imagined it would become what it is today. So congratulations, because I think the hardest thing for most team owners is just actually stepping out of production. Not only have you stepped out of production, but you've gone the next step to say, my business can run on its own while I'm full-time doing something else. So you brought up a word called systems, right? You said you had to put the systems in place. Like, What did you have to do to your business to be able to actually step outside of the business? I know you still work on your business, but I don't believe you worked in your business, right? Oh, no. No, yeah, very yeah, much not. So, <laughs> so, so what are the systems? Like, what did you put in place to allow you to be able to get there? You know, I'd love to say that I sat down and used a flow chart and, you know, but really it was more a lot of uh-oh moments. If something was broken or confusing or it kept me up at night, I figured out a way to stop it. And if I were to oversimplify the process, let's take your typical buyer transaction. There are moments throughout the transaction that are very important to an agent. So for example, writing an offer, getting it under contract, negotiating repairs, getting paid. And these key moments, we really created a lot of process around. This was before CSU forms, right? So I was using job forms and, and all this stuff back, you know, six or seven years ago. And I decided that because the agents were motivated at these different points in the transaction, I would leverage that emotion and capture a lot of really good data and safeguard. So a silly example, but I think it highlights the point well, is when a contract or when a listing goes under contract, we have to update the MLS, right? Like we have to change it depending, or you get a fine. And it took a few fines for me to create this process, right? Where when they fill out a form and mark it pending, an email goes to our listing staff automatically with the exact information, the type of financing, the buyer's name, the seller's name, um, what date it went under contract. So that is one fine that I no longer get because all they do is they know, you know, it's all numbered and they fill it out. That example represents every aspect of my business over the last six or seven years. That's a great example. I mean, sometimes, and I get invited to speak sometimes. And one of the messages I've been sharing as of late, because I think it's so crucial is if you can go in and you can find every area in your business where you put the same information in two different places and eliminate that, right? Eliminate all duplicate entry. And if you can go find every place where there's an opportunity to do an automation like the one you just talked about where that email automatically fires instead of an individual having to fire that email. That's really the future of real estate, right? Like those are the things that are going to let you scale without having to add bodies. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. And I think we don't work on it enough because we don't have a lot of instant gratification, right? Like Mm -hmm. nothing groundbreaking occurs when I set up that email, but the dividends... Uh, to your point, of those automations begin to compound over time. Yeah. Uh, because, and then before you know it, 
you've shrunk your week into, you know, 60 hour weeks to 40 to 30 to 20 to, you know, and you continue to where now you're only doing the things that either a make you the most money, bring you the most joy, whatever you're leveraged. Yeah. I had a CSU team come to me. It was mid middle of last year. And they said, Hey, they were on pace to do 500 transactions. And they said, we will never get above 500 transactions with the systems we have in place. And he said, will you help me? And I, you know, they'd been a CSU customer for two years, but similar to you for sales performance, right? They're also a team ridge. And I said, will you trust me and go all in? <laughs> and so as soon as they did that, they went from, you know, they moved their forms from job forms into CSU forms They moved their processes from Trello into CSU. Very similar to what you did, right? And what they found was they ended up getting with the same team in place, they hit a thousand transactions last year. Not surprised. It's, it's just eliminating the duplicate entry, right? And coming up with as many automations as you can. And I think that's like, everybody should be focused on that right now. Yeah. And you know, especially the person in your example, they either were really intelligent or really frustrated or maybe both because I find that let's look at transaction management, for example, a lot of teams are making their decisions based off of, well, I don't want to make my TC unhappy by making a big change with my systems. We've got a good thing going and I don't want to mess it up. And I had to make the call that the transaction management department wasn't just going to make the transaction easy, but they were going to be doing things in a way that I wanted to serve the greater purpose of my business. And that was a fundamental shift because at that, then at that point it was like, all right, what do I need from this? And, you know, because there's a lot of data in the transaction details of CSUD that really at the end of the year, actually quarterly, you can go in, you can look at what lead sources have the most appointments met or, you know, how much this lead source is for cost per closing or cost per lead. And the data really begins to be, become a beacon of uh, what you're going to be doing next. Mm-hmm. What I've found is most team owners, most people like you spend most of their time in our income report because you have to know what do you have pending that's going to close this month, next month? What is your income? What are your expenses? What, you know, you really need to be able to run your business like a business, right? What do I have coming in in 90 days? So anyway, to have that information in a platform that gives you no information back is a challenge as well as the duplicate entry, right? Absolutely. So Barry, I wanted to ask you about your book. Okay. Okay. So too nice for sales. Mm -hmm. You wrote a book this year. You just launched it about a month or two ago. You sold over 4,000. It was March. Okay. So you sold over 4,000 copies. Congratulations. Thank you. If you've been enjoying Grit, please help us continue to grow the channel by leaving a five-star review and sharing it with a friend. Now back to Grit. How did this book come about? I mean, you're a busy man, right? Like yeah, yeah. You, you run this real estate team, you run a real estate brokerage, you run, you know, you're full-time executive over at White Lopo. You've got a lot going on in your life. You have kids, you have a wife, you have a family, you have all this stuff going on. What makes you decide to write a book now? You know, I was teaching the same things over and over for White Lopo customers for six years. And generally speaking, everybody was used to having the conversation where the lead knows what they want. They picked out a house and then I focus on servicing that need. And 
my market, the average sales price is 250, 300,000. And Zillow was charging me the same amount as some like larger cities like LA and things like that. Just doesn't make any sense. So I was charging you cost per lead. You're saying like you're you're part of not part of Zillow flex, but part of the product. This was back in 2016 before Zillow. Okay. Okay. So they were just doing premier agent and the cost cost per lead lead for that agent really high. And so I was forced to come up with a way to talk to people that were from Google or Facebook, which is at that point in time, they normally don't know what kind of house they want just yet. And so I had what I feel is mastered that conversation. And that's what I was teaching my Lopo teams for six years is how to talk to people that don't know what they want yet. And every time I taught it, people would act like it was a big deal. They, they would say, wow, this is, I've never heard this. this is amazing. And so I decided that I would write a book. And as I say, in the beginning of the book, Brian, like I got a D in English. I, I just played basketball and volleyball. Like I didn't pay attention. So it's hilarious that I'm a published author. Okay. It's hilarious. And <laughs> I just, it's outlined- not though. And, and here's why it's not hilarious because Barry, you have grown every year since you graduated from high school because you're constantly learning. Some people in life, get out of high school and they think that's their learning or out of college and they think that's their learning and they stop. It's yeah. about learning every day, true. you know, of your life. Right. And if you that's can true. continue to evolve your learning, now you can publish books like you are. <laughs> there you go. If I can do it, anybody can. No, I'm just kidding. But for me, I decided I would outline what I thought was important and I wanted to hire somebody to write it for me. And as I mentioned before we started, you know, my wife's from a really small town in Carolina and just a simple upbringing. And she said, (laughs) she never heard of ghostwriting. And she said, you are not going to do that. You know, you need to do it yourself. I'm so glad that she encouraged me to do that because it's one of the more gratifying things I've ever done professionally. And so I outlined it. I wrote all the chapters. I had some people beta read it, which I found out was a thing. And some of them were like, this is horrible. And some of them said, change here, fix this. And it took about two years. And every time I felt like I was trying to finish an assignment where I wasn't creative, I wasn't passionate. I was like, I got to get this done. I stopped because that wasn't what I wanted to provide. I wanted to provide people where, cause you know, you read a book and it's like halfway through, you're like, okay, you put it away. And for me, I wanted each chapter to be the best that I had to offer. And then I, I did a hybrid self-publishing where they, they do a lot of the publisher type stuff but then you own the rights to it. And then I I really haven't advertised it much, but what's happened is teams are buying it for their agents that are working leads from PPC or Facebook because they learned that they were having the wrong type of conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, any agent today, the times have changed, right? Most agents are not prospecting. Most agents are not calling FISBOs and expireds. Most agents are getting leads handed to them by their team owners and they don't know how to follow up. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, to characterize the issue, I think is if you ask a lead that knows what they want, what kind of home they want, the lead not only appreciates that question, but answers it. If you ask a lead, what kind of home do you want that doesn't know what they want, which is your typical Google or Facebook lead, they normally answer with some form of, I'm just browsing, I'll let you know when I'm ready. And so we don't ask that question. We say, look, you know, whenever you decide to move, what are you hoping to change about where you live right now? And you get a completely different response because now the person is actually like, 
thinking and learning along with you. And so you multiply that one question by several others. You have a different conversation. It's a different close. It's a different process, but nice people tend to be more focused on gaining the approval of the human on the other end of the phone over helping. And so I know they don't want to talk to me. So because I want them to be happy with me, I rush off the phone. And so instead of being focused on how can I help this person make the largest purchase of their life, I'm focused on how can I get them to like me? And I think I'm being nice. Like, oh, I wouldn't want to bother anybody. And what ended up happening was nice people tricked themselves into no longer being helpful. And so that's kind of the book. And it's through stories of my life and what I learned and how I learned it. So by being nice, we're not bringing value. <laughs> right. We're not. Yeah. You know, I'm really glad if my house is on fire, the firefighter doesn't knock on the door and be like, oh, they must be busy. Right. Like, I'm glad that he 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 takes the initiative. Obviously, it's an extreme example, but I'm glad that he pushes his way through because I need that at that moment if I'm in an emergency. And mm-hmm. I'm the expert. I know more about this than the person on the other end of the phone and they need me to lead them, but I just want them to like me. So I just get off the phone and tell them I'll email them. Hmm, That's great. So I understand why you wrote the book. I need to get this book to the hands of all of my wife's agents. I'm guessing it's not on audio at this point. It is. Yeah, it is on audio. Okay. It's on audible and Kindle. Okay. I, I did not read it myself just because I didn't plan on doing Audible. And the number of people that came to me and said, is it on Audible was like overwhelming. Like, and so I I learned Amazon has a creative exchange. You put what you want. And I had 30 people read a chapter of the book and send me an audio. And I got to pick the one that I thought represented what I was trying to do. And that was it. It was really a cool process. I mean, you and I both know realtors that type A personality, like they're not sitting down and reading, but they will listen while they're driving. They will listen while they work out. So I I think that was great that you went. And uh, so you have that on Audible. You don't have that on Apple. Is that right? It's on Audible. It's on Kindle and Apple Books. But it's on Apple Books. Yes, it is on Apple Books. Yep. Yep. Okay. And to your point, I haven't told anybody this, but I'll, I'll say it now. I do want to do a comic book version of the book because of what you said. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I've always wanted to write a book, Barry, and you're inspiring me to do that right now. Cause I've never, never executed on it. I've, I've known for the last 10 years, I'm absolutely going to write at least one book, probably multiple books. How long did it take you to write this book? Well, from like when I first started it, yeah, like to, it from, from beginning, from beginning to, you know, releasing the book, like two years, how, how long was that process? Two years? Yeah. But it wasn't like a constant two years. It was when I either felt inspired or I had extra time, which isn't often like when you think about how often are you inspired and how often do you have time? And the best advice I can give you is obsess about the outline first know where you're going, and then just do one chapter at a time. It really is not that bad once you do that. The hardest part, in my opinion, is the topic and the outline. After that, you just do what you do. I mean, you're running a podcast. You've built a successful business. You have a lot that you could say in each chapter. And so I think it's just about knowing the direction you want to go. 
Okay. So I, I'm guessing a lot of you listeners have thought about writing a book at some point as well. So why don't we all commit together to add more value to this world and let's all write a book and follow Barry's example here. So I love that you did that, Barry. So I'm, I'm excited for you. I'm cheering you on. I'm going to go buy, I'm probably going to buy audibles for people because yeah. that's probably the preferred listening method, I'm guessing for these people. Oh yeah. Um, yeah the audible has been popular. Okay, great. So let's talk for a few minutes. We have a few more minutes here. Tell me what's happening in the industry right now. I want to get your take on this, just your perception. I mean, you are leading a super successful team. You are an executive of a successful company that knows like (laughs) like massive lead gen in this space. So Mm -hmm. like what's going on in the industry? What do business owners in this space need to make sure they keep doing to not fall off the charts. And I ask you this because before this podcast, I actually talked to my wife and she told me that a coach that she was talking with over the last week told her that, and her business hasn't dropped at all yet, but a coach told her that a lot of businesses are dropping. Like they've just instantly had 40% of their business drop off in real estate. I hadn't heard that yet until this morning. So I want to get your take on this. Yeah, absolutely. In 2008, when the market crashed, I waited about a year for things to go back to normal and they never did. And so I starved, it wrecked me financially. And so it all started when quarantine hit. Everybody was kind of like, what do we do? How are we going to make this happen? And I remember the huddle because I do two huddles a week with my agents. And I said, I told them that same story. And I said, because of what I've learned, this is what we're going to do. I hope things go back to normal tomorrow. However, in the meantime, we are going to pivot and we're going to pivot quickly. And I promised them that no matter what happened, that I was going to continue to make sure that if there was a person in my market looking to buy or sell a home, that we would be in the running to earn that business. Well, that has not changed. Mortgage rates, I think they were at like 7% yesterday. And did they I, actually hit seven? I knew they'd hit six. They I didn't know they'd hit seven. It okay. hit seven and I, I, and then they dipped back down from what I was okay. reading. But regardless, there's a lot of fear. And what I told my agents, I said, if we were used to just to use number round numbers, if we were used to a hundred people that were looking to buy or sell, maybe that numbers dropped a lot. Maybe there's only 30. I said, but what we're going to do is we're going to obsess about those 30. And the way we're going to do it is I'm going to uh, filter the list that I've created for you. So they have specific lists in their CRM and their lists used to have 20 people, but now I've, I've added additional filters like average search price. If they were looking for a lower end home, more than likely the interest rate bump has really hurt them. Mm-hmm. And so what we're doing is we're filtering that out. You know, So we're filtering out a lot of behavior and their list maybe went from 20 people to maybe eight. But now instead of them calling those 20 people Uh, three minutes per person, that's an hour, right? Now what they're going to do is with those eight, they're going to call each of them, you know, seven times or seven minutes per person. And they're going to be more creative, more involved and more passionate with those eight instead of spreading it out over 20. One of the things that I have one of my VAs do is we use the accountability report inside of CSU. We take the transaction activity We put that in the transaction field inside of CSU. You showed me this, Brian. And then I I do the commission and we actually do a loom. Uh, my, My VA does. 
and goes through and says, this is what we have for you. This is how much money you potentially make. This is who you need to focus on. Cool. I love that. Well, so, and, and, and so big idea, there are less people buying, but if you focus on the right people, you're going to sell just the same as you always have. So I love that you say there are less people buying hundred percent agree with you. Does that necessarily mean there are less people selling though? No. And that's why there won't be less transactions Mm -hmm. because we still have an inventory shortage. And so that's what makes this unique is we had too many buyers, not enough sellers. Now the buyers have gone down. And so sellers aren't going to be able to just ask for whatever they want anymore. But I don't think the transaction count is going to bottom out. I, I, I do think though, that there are certain types of leads that if you were a one trick, like all you could do is work one kind of opportunity, you're struggling right now because you, you're you're not adapting to the flex that happens in any business cycle in any industry, let alone real estate. So you know, there's you have to be able to adapt to the circumstances and find the people that are looking. Yeah. Okay. It's great advice. I hope everybody hears this podcast because <laughs> you've shared a lot of valuable nuggets here today, Barry. <laughs> Is there anything just kind of last? thought, like anything that you would want to share with these different real estate business owners, which is mostly who listens to this podcast that yeah, you, know, uh, you feel can make a difference for them? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I listen to an interview like this, Brian, and I've listened to several on the Grit podcast, sometimes you come away with like, you're impressed, you're challenged and you think like, oh, that's too far away, or I'm not going to be able to get that. And what my recommendation is to just pick one thing. And it is my opinion that success is not made up of like one grand choice that you made one time. It's made up of a lot of little, seemingly insignificant decisions that add up into big events. And so behind closed doors, I'm just as much of a mess as you are. All you got to do is just make a decision today to work on one aspect of your business and walk it out. You'll be just fine. Yeah, that's great advice. I love that. You've always sent that message to me and you've always executed it in your business that way. It reminds me of the book Habits, which has been really popular for a lot of people over the last year or since it came out. And, you know, it's just those little habits that form who you are as a person. So very Thank you so much for joining on the show. If somebody wants to reach you, because I know you are a teacher, if somebody wants to reach you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Probably my book website, 2-T-O-O-NiceForSales.com, 2-NiceForSales.com. There's all kinds of stuff on that website. Okay. So that's a great place. I'm glad you brought that up. 2-NiceForSales, T-O-O, (laughs) 2 nice Make sure you go there, buy that book for all of your team members, because they absolutely need to change the way they're talking to these leads if you want them to be successful over the next year. So Barry, thanks for everything today. I've loved having you on the show and Thank you. Um, looking forward to continuing to see you thrive in all aspects of your life and excited for everything you've got going on. As far as our listeners go, thank you again for joining us in another show. Go like our podcast and help us get more amazing guests like Barry. Okay. Thanks everyone. (laughs) Have a great week and we'll catch you all next week. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. If you have an interest in a free seven day trial of Sisu, go to sisu.co, S-I-S-U dot C-O. 
make sure that you use the coupon code GRIT, that's G-R-I-T, to waive all your setup fees and receive a 10% discount on your subscription. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to subscribe, search GRIT, the real estate growth mindset on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. And with that, we'll catch you next time. Take care.